like, my microphone isn't working. How interesting. I need help. <laughs> Nothing's working in here. Nothing's working. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. I always say there's no help coming. And then, by golly, it's worth it. Do it the way you feel it. Hard knock. Hard knock. God bless you. Radio. Monday through Friday. And it's from 4 to 5 p.m. Here I am. By golly, it's one of those days. I think it has something to do with the vibes, the vibes in Washington. I don't know. What did that woman, what did she say? One-seventh of the, oh, no, no, one-seventh part, yes. Uh, see, it would be seven pages out of every hundred. Seven mm, percent. I don't know. Uh, we shall see. Anyway, this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. And today is September the 4th, 2018. Listen, I'm sure you don't want to listen to my rant about what we're up against this time around. Autumnal angst, the fall of empires, the end of this, our long run as a republic. We were never a democracy, but we had a representative government of sorts and certainly a free Press, if you could <laughs> buy one, well, yeah, you know, pamphlets, pass out free pamphlets. That's what we did back in the day. The Berkeley Barb, actually, we had to charge a little money for that. But anyway, this great nation, the best of the worst, historically speaking, the long view cease, cease, Jennifer. We always said that in the 1950s. Cease. <laughs> Shut up. Enough is enough. Yes. We must wait and see. The game, the game goes on. Game change never ends. But the dealer, the, the one, usually a guy, the one with the cards is stacked by the boys in the back room. Anyway, oh God, an October surprise, you think? Courage. The courage of the good guys, we depend on that. Uh, most of them are gals, women, that is to say. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, cease and desist, Jennifer. Let us turn to the poets, the artists, the... Thinkers are the voices that tell us what to do and maybe how to feel about socio-political, economic chaos and confusion. I tried to read a book on chaos theory and I realized that I have ina inadequate, inadequate uh, skills, I believe is the word they use nowadays. Uh, I can read, but as we used to say with the children in school... She can read, but does she understand what she reads? Hell no. Oh, anyway, poets, teach us to care and not to care. I think that's T.S. Eliot. 
I put it over my typewriter for many years. Teach us to care and not to care. That's about, used to be about, uh, oh, you know, medicine. We have to care enough to try to help. But if we care too much, well, then we simply dissolve and die with them. I always think we should try to be, well, I've tried to be a good Buddhist. Try to sit still. Teach us to uh, fold our hands and then hold hands. Take a friend or go for a long walk in the woods on the beach. Sand between the toes, that's how it goes, everybody knows. All night last night I listened to Leonard Cohen, insomnia. Oh, it's okay if you got Leonard Cohen. Uh, his poems, hmm. I keep looking at his work alongside Bob Dylan's, and I understand how it is Bob Dylan got the Nobel Prize, even though it was Leonard Cohen's turn, but mm, Leonard Cohen is the best of the, what is it, the old nostalgia. Uh, I think we have to give Bob Dylan the prize for, uh, not just surrealism, but uh, golly, golly, it it shocked us awake back in the 60s. Uh, anyway, Leonard Cohen is my thing these days. I keep going back, go oh, half a century. Seems to be my mindset. I, I can't catch up. I can't get into the now. Uh, my heart lives in the then. Then. And of course, that means I'm out of date, to put it, to put it gently. I am so grateful for the young, the new, the hope for a new birth of humanism. I see them, and mostly they're women, and they're, they're, uh, they're turning to politics, things like that. Uh, it's out there. And for those of us of a certain age, those of us over the hill, uh, we've got to do what we can. Now, sometimes we can help. Uh, you know, <laughs> stuff envelopes, do the phone bank. I used to be a barricades broad in Birkenstocks long ago, but... That was so long ago, I've forgotten it. Uh, once in a while, I run into someone who does, what is it, uh, remember who I was. It's a better recollection than my own. Today, today, rheumatism is worse than fascism in my little corner of the world. Uh, <laughs> corner boy, I'm buried, I... I got to come out more. I think uh, some of us, we let things get to us, and that's not a good thing. Uh, I'm looking back into journals and notebooks. Uh, <laughs> oh, golly. This is almost 50 years ago. Right, yes. 
No, it's only a quarter of a century. Quarter of a century ago, yes. What does this say? It says, neither the honey nor the bee. Neither the honey nor the bee, Sappho knew a thing or two. <laughs> she knew honey can be poison. The killer bee is headed north. I saw one the other day. Cover your ass, citizens. Civilization is winding down. Civilization is not a frill. You have to build it one brick at a time. Oh, too much millennium I had there a quarter of a century ago. My diet, yes, millennium. Swing, swing, said Sappho. But watch your head, baby. Ceilings are lower these days. Whenever I watch late-night movies, I am so moved or... What is that? Uh, I'm, I'm so touched by the size of the sets, the buildings. I think it's something to do with money, but nowadays every square foot costs more money. But once upon a time... Even poor people had high ceilings and arches. Ah, uh, uh, well, today doesn't buy a lot. All that money in the honey pot we got. I thought we'd get rich, and we did. But golly, now there's, well, toast is $2. <laughs> Yesterday, I bought a loaf of cinnamon bread for Seven dollars. I can't imagine how I managed that. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. That's going to take me to, well, an early grave. Too much sweets, that kind of bread. It's, it's like cake, you know. You pretend it's toast or bread, but it's really cake. Uh, <laughs> it's going to take me to, yes, a graveyard plot. That's what I can afford. Take money out of the honey pot and get a plot. No, no, no. That's all wrong. These days, we must be ecologically correct. I believe that they say that even cremation is not uh, politically quite correct. What they call green burials. Oh, don't start, Jennifer. Many thousands gone, gone, gone. I dream, I dream of them walking into the sea. So many, many millions now. Murder in old Mesopotamia. <laughs> I don't know, looking at the, uh, looking at the past. Theology is destiny. Theology is destiny. No. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. I'm reading a book about about uh, <laughs> about sports and about all the uh, bad stuff. One of the guys uh, is upset. It's a little scene. He, he paints a little picture. He's in a classroom and the teacher says that the uh, Holocaust, the... Uh, murder of six million Jews in Germany in the 40s is the worst crime in history. And 
The young man says, no, you've got it wrong, manifest destiny. That is the worst crime in history on account of because it was centuries and centuries of right out and out murder, the trail of tears, that kind of thing. Hey, I don't know, the body count, <laughs> the body count is not really the way, well, maybe uh, Alfred North Whitehead said that style is the ultimate morality. He puts, uh, well, to put the style of the British Empire, put that next to the style of the guy that was trying to put together the Third Reich. I don't know, I don't know, that's my new... My new mantra, my uh, my little verbal tick. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyway, surplus profits right out here. Surplus profits. I know them. They're in the coffee houses. Uh, the ones out in what is it? Out in space. Out there. Well, the Middle East is space for me. Those. Those guys command those blood feuds out there beneath the cedars of Lebanon. Oh, it's so biblical. It's so Homeric what's happening. And the smoke blinds the babies. Oil fires light the night. The site of the temple, the ancient temple, that's called Byblos, B-Y-B-L-O-S. I believe that's the word that gives us the word Bible, old Byblos. Of course, Byblos was a temple to worship the great mother. <laughs> that was then, this is now, and all that matters now is the money. Our icons are bleeding like hearts. Cracking like social contracts. Kali Maya with an axe to grind with the race in mind. A harlot from hell. Mother of masochists, the whore of war, the whore of war of Babylon, of end timers. Come to put us all to bed. A young girl, adolescent, I guess, uh, came running up to me on the bus not too long ago. And she said, we are living in the end times. <laughs> and I said, well, have you got a date for tonight? She said, oh, yes. End times come to put us all to bed. Uh, Nighty night. Uh, the queen bee, the old biological imperative, breeding and birthing. Birth these swarms of sadists riding the four horsemen of the apocalypse across this desert of thought, just part of the plot. The nature of things, the way of the world, the same old, same old merry-go-round downtown, and the cairns on the burnt path of history. And the written record, 
that printing press. Right. Martin Luther wouldn't have made uh, made a dent if he hadn't been able to use Gutenberg's printing press. All went together. Create pages of time, of people, of the little, little story of man. Then, then, on the stone road to where we are, no more. To that day when the earth is clear of art and book and mozzarella and movie. Gone the blue eyes and blood feuds. When the sand has done to the pyramids, what prions are doing to our brains. <sighs> Sex. Sex is to love as words are to thought. In the grave, no honey pot. Oh, I guess, I guess what got to me last night was a television, a television play about the Bronte sisters. <laughs> it's titled, To Walk Invisible. One of the sisters says that they have to have uh, pseudonyms, they can't be themselves. And when they publish their novels, they must use Names that are androgynous, neither male nor female. Uh, Cora Bell is Charlotte Bronte, and Ellis Bell is uh, Emily. Uh, oh, golly, <laughs> I've forgotten Anne Bronte's name. She used another name, but uh, too many people forget Anne Bronte. That's a shame. I, I liked her book, The Tenant of Wildfeld Hall. It was basically a how-to book, How to Live with a Drunkard. <laughs> Been there, done that. That was my childhood. Uh, yeah, The Tenant of Wildfeld Hall. Anne uh, Bronte died when she was 29. She was uh, kind of the sweetest, the last the last child uh, uh she went to Scarborough, took her to Scarborough to die. She's buried there, not in the graveyard at Haworth. Emily, Emily, uh, they said that she was almost schizophrenic. She was so surly, surly, some people said. Uh, she was not forthcoming, not your friendly type. <laughs> I think that reserved is the proper word. Uh, her professor over there uh, on the continent, Charlotte's Black Swan, she called him, her professor said she should have been a man because she had that kind of mind. She should, you know, write essays. Actually, it's Emily's poetry that moves me the most. I remember when I was getting a master's in in creative writing, I wanted one of my my uh, major authors to be 
Emily Bronte, as a poet. I was informed by the powers that be that all three Bronte sisters made up one one of the three uh, three persons we needed to pick three poets, and that's what we would uh, take our orals in. We'd know all about these three, and of course, Emily, Anne, and Charlotte made up one one author. <laughs> Emily, Emily, they actually let Emily Bronte, the character of Emily Bronte recite some of her poems in the show uh, the uh, To Walk Invisible it was called, it was on PBS um, I don't see any uh, prospect of its running again uh, however it turned up, oh I don't know, a couple of years ago so it may come back it's about two hours long the role of Branwell was done especially well Branwell, the only son, the brother that uh, broke their hearts. He was uh, not just an alcoholic. He apparently got his hands on some opium. And uh, his father, his father, the Reverend Patrick Bronte, he sat up with Branwell night after night after night until... Branwell died. One of the accounts says that Branwell died standing up. I never know whether to believe believe the stories that they tell. Uh, Emily, uh, I think, well, she died three months after Branwell. Go figure. There's a poem called Remembrance that I've read once here on KPFA, but unfortunately... I have a terrible tendency to break down and blubber when I read long poems by Emily, the uh, sad ones. Here are some lines that they let her use in the show, in the play. Uh Uh-huh. She's talking to her younger sister, Anne. And, uh, yes, Anne and Charlotte have gone to London. They have to straighten out some problems. Uh... People think that all three of the uh, women are one male author, and it's getting kind of weird. So they have to take take a trip to London, 17 hours overnight, straighten out their publishers. Lovely, lovely scene, that. But they come back, and uh, Emily's been really busy. She's been writing a poem. This poem, well, there are just four lines here. It's titled, No Coward Soul is Mine. I like that, being a (laughs) hopeless coward myself. In no coward soul is mine, in 1846, Emily Bronte wrote, Vain are the thousand creeds that move men's hearts. Unutterably vain, worthless as withered weeds, or idlest froth amid the boundless main. <laughs> there you go, boys. <laughs> all those creeds you live by, all those uh, passionate convictions that move your hearts, Emily Bronte says, 
that they are worthless as withered weeds, unutterably vain. Uh, Yes, vanity, all is vanity. (laughs) Emily had that one right. God bless her. Uh, Anyway, let's see. I was going to read you some Beckett, but that seems to me just a little too gloomy. When I think of uh, Emily, I can't help thinking of uh, William Butler Yeats. Emily, of course, was Irish, you know. The Brontes were Irish. Their actual, well, the name that their father had when he was born was Brunte, B-R-U-N-T-Y, Patrick Brunte. He changed it to Bronte, B-R-O-N-T-E. I think he thought it had a... Uh, well, not an Anglo sound, but maybe, maybe he thought it was French. I don't know. Anyway, he wanted a more artistic name, so he changed it to Bronte when he became a school teacher. Uh, anyway, I think of William Butler Yeats, The Second Coming, you know. It sort of suits our time. And once when I was reading Emily, Bronte, I decided to rewrite it. It's a very bad habit. Uh, The second coming, yes. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. (laughs) Then he goes on at great length about uh, the second coming, the revelation, a vast image out of Spiritus Mundi, the spirit of the earth. Anyway, he says it's coming. It has a shape with a lion body, the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun. On and on, once again, this one I always put next to Ozymandias. Twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast is our come round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. As a schoolgirl, I spent (laughs) hours and hours in discussion with my classmates about (laughs) what that was all about. I said, don't be silly. Twenty centuries, that means the coming of Christ and how we've been in big trouble ever since. Uh, I, of course discovered in middle life, I was certainly through with college, I discovered the the old religion, the really old religion, the crone, the triple goddess, the mother maiden, uh, the crone, the old crone was my favorite. Uh, I would recommend, if you care, about uh, the history of woman in theology. Check out the Woman's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets by Barbara Walker. 
And, uh, yes, I, with all apologies to W.B. Yeats, oh, well, I don't have time. I was going to read you my rewrite of Yeats called The Crone's Coming. <laughs> yes. A vile image out of mother's miasma taints my sight. Right. Slow death. Slow death. Centuries of cold stone silence on the Galilean's cross. Till the white nightmare hour come round at last. Flees towards Byblos to be mourned. I will be back on the air next Tuesday, God willing. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Again, the prophet, Chris Hedges, is coming to Berkeley, this time with America, the Farewell Tour, a blistering new book that should disturb anger and shame many of us. He portrays a land of rampant drug addiction, moral collapse, pending economic collapse, a land in which the super-rich increasingly exploit the poor and the vulnerable, a corporate land whose rulers ignore global warming. Chris Hedges will be hosted by Norman Solomon, co-founder of RootsAction.org, September 12th, 7.30 p.m. at First Congregational Church, 2345 Channing Way in Berkeley. This KPFA benefit is wheelchair accessible. Tickets available at brownpapertickets.com as well as our wonderful supportive bookstores. Be there September 12th as Hedges and Solomon discuss the cultural, moral, and spiritual resistance we must undertake. KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, 